Would you join me in prayer, please? Father, thank you for the opportunity that we've had to sing songs of faith. The encouragement that the words bring into our heart, because if we are followers of you, your spirit lives within us, quickens our heart, forms and encourages our refuge. And we deeply appreciate that. Lord, as we look to this new year and we look at the new opportunities, it gives us warmth. It gives us hope. And hope is what we must hold on to. And as we gather around the memorial table this morning, I pray not only will we prepare our hearts, but Father, we'll listen. We'll remember. We'll be reminded and we'll take action so that this year will be the best ever for your purposes. Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Billy Graham stated several years ago, for the believer there is hope beyond the grave because Jesus Christ has opened the door to heaven to, for us by his death and his resurrection. Hope. We have the hope of life everlasting. Jesus has given us that ability that we can look forward to the hereafter. The question I think that might be on many of our minds, though, is coming out of 2020, is what about the here and now? Because of Christ, we have that hope of eternity and eternal life. But what about now? In a world full of confusion, evil, and chaos, how can we have hope? How can we have hope for this life, even though we have hope for the life to come? And I think that's what the disciples were struggling with after Jesus' death. As we think about what they had been doing for three and a half years, those 12, we think about those 11 who were faithful to follow him, then to see him crucified. We remember the two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus, saying we had hoped he would be the one to redeem Israel. We come to that question, how do we live on? And that was the question, I think, the disciples. They, they knew about eternity. How about today? How about in a world that seems to be full of distraught, discouragement, disappointment, fear? It was at that point when the grave was opened and Jesus was resurrected that he appeared to his disciples in that same world of confusion and evil and chaos and appeared to them to give them even a greater commission. He told them that you will be my witnesses. His appearance gave them hope and gave them purpose. And in the world that we live in, we must have that same kind of hope and purpose. We are not a people that are hopeless even in dark circumstances. We ought to be the bright light, the light of Christ shining through us. 
We ought not to be the ones to be discouraged, although we will have our times. I remember in the weeks after my kidney transplant in 2017, it was one of the hardest times of my life. You, you have this new kidney and it brings you life, but it is a struggle in those first few weeks. There was discouragement, there was disappointment, there was depression, there was almost this sense of hopelessness even with this new life that you've been given. And then things began to change. In life, we're going to have those times of discouragement and disappointment. It may happen to you in the wee hours of the morning or maybe you just put on a brave face when you're around people, but there are those times. And it's not just the world we live in. Sometimes it's struggles that we face within. But we need to remember that not only did Jesus give us hope for the hereafter, he gave us hope for the here and now. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly, more fully. So the question is, what does that abundantly look like in real life? We hear the words, we embrace it, but what does it look like? How do we live on in the same vein of these disciples to go into the world, to be his witnesses, and to embrace and hold on to that hope and the purpose that Jesus gave them and has given us? I have eight statements as we prepare to observe the Lord's Supper that I think will help us to embrace the abundant living even in the midst of darkness and trials. You do remember that Jesus said in this world you will have trials and temptations, right? And he said, be of good cheer. In other words, live victoriously because I've overcome the world. The Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The reason Paul could do everything that he was doing in the midst of the persecution, and I'm not sure that I know of anyone that I've read about or that I know that was persecuted more for their faith in Christ than the Apostle Paul. From the readings in, in the Corinthian letter, he went through so much to be a church planner and to further the kingdom of God. And yet he was the one that says, I can do all things, not within himself, but through Christ, who is the one who strengthened him. So as we talk about these eight things, I want you to embrace them and hold on to them. Remember, as we think about and as we are preparing ourselves to observe the Lord's Supper, think about what Christ has done, what Christ has done for you, what Christ has done through his death and resurrection I think these are important things. Number one, abundant living requires our remembering. And remember that Jesus said when you come to the Lord's Supper, do this in remembrance of me. And it's not just the me of the crucifixion. It's the me of the promises that he gave and the promises of the entirety of the word of God. Those are the things we are to remember. And so the abundant living, if we're going to have that here, it requires remembering that God has solutions for our problems. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, Paul says, No temptation has overcome you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. 
But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So Paul is telling us there are no excuses. You have the ability when temptation comes to walk away from it. He will strengthen you if you're walking with him. That's part of the abundant living, is walking with him so that no matter what temptation comes, we can overcome it. Sometimes in our mind we think temptation, well, that's, that's more of a, of, a, uh, of a focus on the sexual nature, the temptation that that has. But the reality is that there's a lot of kind, different kinds of temptation. How about stealing? You ever tempted to steal? Oh, no, no, no. Did you ever kind of round something off in your IRS tax form? <laughs> Listen, you have to watch those things. Jesus said, render unto Caesar what's Caesar's, and to God what's God's. We think about also, uh, when we don't necessarily agree with someone, the character assassinations that we might present. You say, well, what in the world is that? That's when you go around talking to people about somebody else trying to diminish their character with someone else because you disagree with them on something. Well, that's sin. That's being tempted. How about gossip? Nobody wants to hear about gossip because sometimes we classify them as prayer requests. Let me, let me have you pray for so-and-so because this is an issue in their life when in reality you're just wanting to share some tidbits that you know. Or gossip saying things that are half-truths, telling it as the truth, and it divides, and it creates problems. How about envy? How about strife? How about pride? How about ego? Creating strife within the body of Christ. Just out and out lying, or telling what we call those little white lies, and yet, to God, it's sin. It's being tempted. Let me tell you what Paul's saying. Listen, no temptation, no temptation, has overtaken you except that which is common to man. These are all common. He says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. So you can overcome those temptations. He goes on again. He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You don't have to do it. There is no excuse. There's no excuse slip, hall pass, or whatever that says, you know what? You can do any of these things. You can submit to the temptation that Satan throws your way. He says, you don't have to do it. You're going to live abundantly. God has a solution to your problems. He will let you and work with you and help you to endure it if you'll allow him. Secondly, abundant living also helps us to remember that God's grace is sufficient for every single need. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I love this scripture, and in my notes I've underlined and highlighted things in this verse. It says that first, God is able. He's the creator God. He's able. He's able, and I put a box around you. He's able to bless you. He's able to bless you. He has the power to bless you. And then he says abundance. There's that understanding of the abundant living. So that, and here's the reason why he wants to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, in all, at all times, and having all that you need. Did you catch all those alls? He, he is, he's making sure that you understand that he has the ability and he desires to bless you abundantly 
for this reason, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. That idea of will means action. You can live the abundant life. That's what he's trying to get across. He is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. No matter how difficult things may be for you in this world or within yourself, things that you're going through, he says, listen, I will take care of every need. That's why he said, in all things, at all times, having all you need, it alls is for you. And then he expects that you will abound in every good work. He expects you to live abundantly. He expects you to live compassionately, touching the lives of others. Not only with sharing the gospel, but living it out and touching their needs in their lives. Third, the abundant living reminds us that God is able to do more than we ask or imagine. What is your greatest dream? Have you ever imagined you doing something, being a hero or something like that? Doing some great feat? I was telling the, uh, the 9 o'clock service that uh, when I was in seminary, there was this, in 1984 Olympics, you know, were, uh, were about to go on, and, and I could just imagine myself being in the Olympics. Man, I, I was going to do some of the greatest things in the Olympics. I could just imagine myself being this incredible witness for God because of these feats that I would do. And yes, I was much thinner in those days. I was more athletic in those days. Well, it didn't happen. But I want you to think about this. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. If I could imagine, my biggest imagination and dream at that time was to be a star in the Olympics. That was my imagination. He says, listen, he's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. He can do more than that in my, in my life. Isn't that absolutely amazing? What I couldn't do in my own power and in my own strength in 1984 or at any other time in my life, he can do even more than that if I allow him to do it. I think that is a powerful passage. One that says, again, there's no excuses. Because all the things that you can ask or imagine, he's able to do more. He's all-powerful. He's creator God. And he says it comes not by our power, but according to his power. His power that is at work within us. Part of our problem is that we're not doing the greater things for God that he wants us to do. And it doesn't mean that they're going to hit the, the headlines on the papers, but it's touching and changing the lives of people around us. The reason that we're not doing as much of that is because his power may not be at work within us the way that he desires, that we hold back part of who we, who we want to be and our desires, and we give God a little bit of second. Some of us just give God Sunday morning. Others of us might give God a devotion time in the mornings, but the rest of the time is ours. But in reality... We've got to let his power work within us to have the abundant living, not only to benefit us, but to benefit others, the community in which we live and the kingdom of God to expand it. That's what he desires us to do. So abundant living means that we know 
and let God do more than we could ever ask or imagine. Fourth, abundant living reminds us that God is always faithful. Lamentations 3.32 says, Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. Grief. Grief is that component that God allows us to have when we lose a loved one or when something catastrophic happens in our lives and we go through a grieving process. I think that God allows us that period of grief so that it softens the blow that hits us all at one time. And we grieve for these weeks or these months or maybe it's a year or two years or more. But he allows us that time. And what tells me about this is that though he brings this grief and it allows us to be somewhat insulated as we work through every step, he says he will show his compassion. So great is his unfailing love. You realize that our Heavenly Father loves you more deeply and more intimately and unconditionally more than any other person that you connect with, even your spouse. He loves you more than that. And so, even though grief comes, he encircles us and insulates us. And his compassion for us is more than any other. And his unfailing love is there for us. And so it helps us to remember, even in those difficult days, that God is always faithful, even in the most dreaded times of our life. Fifth, abundant living reminds us that hope is the anchor of our soul. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Here Jesus is identified as the one who goes behind the curtain, the Holy of Holies. He becomes the priest forever because of his death, burial, and his resurrection. He is the one that provides the opportunity for salvation for all who would call upon him. And so it is he that the writer of Hebrews tells us is the anchor of our soul. An anchor is that which keeps you stable. In the times where the waters are calm and when the storms come in, that anchor is to hold. It's that solid rock we sang about just a few moments ago. He says we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, that anchor is. And it all has to do with Jesus Christ. Sixth, abundant living remembers and it reminds us to put our hope in the faithful and almighty God. Psalm 42, 5 says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And Psalm 146, verses 5 and 6 says, Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, 
sea and everything in them. And he remains faithful forever. These two psalms give us an understanding of how faithful God is and how almighty he is. Verse 42, the psalmist uh, may be going through some difficult times. That's why he asked the question, why are you, you downcast? Why are you disturbed? Every, probably every one of us here in this worship center and those who are watching on live stream, we, uh, we have gone through times that we are disturbed and our soul is downcast. There are times that we're unsettled and we're disappointed, whether it be something related to our health or whether it be something related to our family, something related to our faith, or the world that we live in. We go through those times, and the psalmist says, even in the midst of those difficult times, I'm going to figure out a way to praise him because he is my Savior and my God. Sometimes it seems like that when we pray and when there are those times that our, our prayers are just hit in the ceiling. It doesn't seem like it's, it's making its way to God, but the reality is it is. And we need to praise him in those times. Even if we can't utter the words in our heart, we praise him even in the midst of darkness, of the valley of the shadow of death. I will praise him, my Savior and my God. I like that word, my. The psalmist is recognizing that God is my Savior and he's my God. He's not just out there distant, it's personal. And in the midst of that personal time, there are times that even with our spouse, we might not share everything immediately. We have to walk through some things by ourselves. Here, he says, even when I do that, God is with me. And I'm going to praise him. Psalm 146, verses 5 and 6 says, Blessed. That, that word blessed has the idea of being spiritually prosperous. It says, spiritually prosperous or, or happy are those whose health is in the God of Jacob and whose hope is in the Lord their God. There you have two words, the help and the hope. He tells us that, that God, the Almighty, will bring us help and hope in these difficult times. And then he describes how we know that he will do that. Because in verse 6, he is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. And he remains faithful forever. Maker of heaven and earth, he's the creator. And we are the creation. And when it's all said and done, no matter how hard we try, we just don't have the strength. And so we need to remember, and when we come to the Lord's Supper table, it helps us to go back and remember that we can't do it on our own. We can't even save ourselves, much less anything else. That he is the one that not only has sacrificed and victoriously raised, but he's also the maker of heaven and earth. And that one who is the maker who created us and who created us new through Christ, he remains faithful forever. Abundant living has to remember that. And Sabbath, abundant Abundant living reminds us to help us to remember that hope produces endurance and perseverance. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3 is such a beautiful, compact verse. Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica said, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was saying, listen, church, I remember 
I remember your work. He said, your work, talking about work in the Lord, he said, it is produced by your faith. So faith produced their work in the Lord. So they had faith. He said, you also labored, and your labor was, was prompted by your love. So their faith and their love for God prompted them to do work and labor for the kingdom of God. And that wasn't it. He said, you were inspired. And your inspiration, which was the hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, gave you endurance. In other words, endurance is to finish to the end. It's to be on the obstacle course or to be running a, uh, an, an 800 on the track field and you're running and you're running and you're running and endurance is to get through that finish line and to do it standing up. <laughs> endurance. Let me tell you, in this life, there's going to be a lot of things come your way that just they just aren't the way that you planned it. But you can have endurance. You can live that abundant life on a consistent basis. You can, can make it to the end, standing strong and firm and enduring because of the hope in, of Jesus Christ. And you can do that through your faith. You can do that through not only his love, but also his hope. And doesn't that remind you of something when you look at 1 Thessalonians 1.3? Faith, love, and hope. Goes back to 1 Corinthians 13. It tells us that through these avenues, faith, hope, and love, we can live the abundant life. And we can endure no matter what. Because that hope produces that endurance, perseverance. And last, to have that abundant living. We need to remember and to be reminded that as believers, we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I think it's important to understand that this gives us that hope of the hereafter. But look closer. Yes, the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us a living hope. And what I mean by a living hope is it's one that lives in this life abundantly. We can have a hope of the hereafter. We can have this living hope while we are breathing, walking, ministering in this world that will always be under control of the prince of darkness that will continue to bring about division and evil and temptation and chaos. It will continue to happen around us. But he says, listen, you can have the living hope here. You can live abundantly because Christ has resurrected from the dead. That's why he gives us hope for the hereafter and for the here. And then the question, how do we have hope to live on? It comes through Jesus Christ. 
and it's remembering as we prepare ourselves to take the Lord's Supper. Reminds us of his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. Because when we take that bread and we take that juice, they're beautiful symbols. They're symbols of what he has given us. They're symbols of his death, burial, and resurrection. They are symbols. And when we think about those symbols, we come to an understanding that they are not sacraments. They are not just rituals. They are not a tradition. They are living. And so as you prepare yourself to observe these elements, You taste that the broken body of Christ and drink that juice that represents his spilt blood. Know that, that what he gives us is not just about his death, burial, and resurrection. He says, do this in remembrance of me. He's talking again about all the promises that he gives, full within scripture, and we need to live them out. And in 2021, this this is the time to say, you know, no matter what happens, I'm going. I'm going to be the living hope. It's not going to be me. I'm going to let Christ live within me so that I can live the abundant life and make a difference in the lives of others. Join me in prayer.